Hey guys, it's Jason Webb. This is the show that highlights local business leaders and the movers and shakers of Minnesota. Welcome to Minnesota Made. What's up, Minnesota? I am at Buyer Interior Woods located in Sox Center, Minnesota. Across from me is Brian Buyer, the owner and CEO. How you doing, Brian? Doing great. Living good. the dream. Good. Good. You, you you look like you're living the dream, man. <laughs> uh, Night, you nightmares are dreams too, you know. <laughs> oh, jeez. True. Uh, co-hosting with me again today is the lovely Melanie. How you doing, Melanie? I'm doing great. How are you, Jason? I'm good. I'm right good. On. Um, so we go on this tour, right? That was quite a tour. Yeah, I forgot to bring my lunch. <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, you got to warn us next time. Bring a lunch. It's you a for it. it's a <laughs> it's a huge facility here, and there's a lot of, I guess, interesting components and steps along the way. That I guess if you miss a step during the tour, you're like, okay. What, how did we get from here to here again regarding the manufacturing process? And uh, so it, it is what it is. It's it's a it's way more complicated than what I imagined. You know, when we're going to go uh, on a tour of a company that makes cabinets, I'm thinking woodshop <laughs> back in ninth grade with Mister yep. Scott, right? <laughs> and. Uh, we got CNC machines and we got, you know, huge piles of inventory as far as raw stock and many different machines that do a very specific thing along the way. Employees everywhere, starting from the, you know, the the raw wood way over to where they're putting the finishing product, the finishing, the finishes on the product and making sure everything fits squarely. And it's a lot to it, man. It's so a lot. Intricate. It's a lot. A lot of steps, and uh, the head of it. Talking about nightmares, Brian. <laughs> to me, figuring all that shit out, man that that looks like a nightmare. Trying to fi- you, you got it down. It's like it, it's it's like a fine oiled machine out there. But getting to this point, wow, that, it's a heck of a process. That's a feat. A lot of trial and error. Yeah. And not a nightmare. That's the part I really like is figuring stuff out. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. So I don't know. I, You know, we, t- we were talking a little bit before I pushed the record button here. And one of the things I find really interesting is the history of the company. And not only the history of the company, but your history, Brian. You're taking me back to the stockyards with your dad and... And I think it was your, was it your grandpa that got started in the stockyards? Yeah, yeah. So w- let's talk about your childhood. You know, you have some siblings. What was your childhood like? Some. Yeah. <laughs> what was your childhood like and what was it like growing up in the buyer family? You know, I would say it was unique um, <laughs> to all small town people. Very yeah. unique to city people because it's, it's, uh, I grew up in a uh, family of uh, five boys and one sister. Okay. I'm the youngest. My mother owned uh, one of the two grocery stores that was in the town. What town was that? The town is uh, El Rosa, Minnesota. El Rosa. Current population 211. Mm. 211 with a Spanish name. It's interesting. Mm. German town. It's not El Rosa. Like, it's not. No? No, it's all one word. Oh. It has to do with somebody named Rose. <laughs> and that makes sense. <laughs> they actually moved the town. It used to be three miles out of town. They moved it to the railroad. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So that was that was uh, where you were born and brought up in, yep. in yep. El Rosa. And it's Bayer because it's a German Catholic town, not Bayer. Yeah. Because everybody spoke German back in the day. Can you speak German? Uh, couple. Yeah. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Dummkuf. How much? Whenever my parents wanted to uh, talk about something they didn't want us to hear, they'd speak in German. Oh. Uh, and have a clue. Okay. I took German in high school. You spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. I remember that. Is that swearing that's in German? <laughs> no, that's saying I speak a little German. Oh. <laughs> All right. So I know anyway, bratwurst. We, That's about it. <laughs> so anyway, we, we grew up in a small town, Minnesota. Uh, mother owned the grocery store, one of them. We lived in the back, and my father was the local bull hauler, they called him, which was the livestock guy, the guy that would go to this farm and that farm, pick up a cow here and a cow there and two pigs here and maybe 20 over here <laughs> all day long. Uh, end of the day, when he was done picking them up, he'd load them up into the semi and head to the South St. Paul Stockyards. Okay. Unload them, wash out the truck, um, get rid of all the crap that's in there, wash them out, and yeah. then would take these panels and then close the truck, trailer, so he could pick up freight the next day, stay overnight. Uh-huh. They had a they had a shippers club that was kind of like about army barracks. Oh. Uh, a bunch of cots that they'd sleep in. Down at the stockyard. At the stockyard. And didn't you say that the, the stockyard in St. Paul at one point in time was the biggest in the world? World's largest. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. Sorry. So uh, he would, the business was the next day he'd go all over the Twin Cities and pick up freight for the hardware store, the liquor store, the implement dealer, um, grocery store, and haul it back to the town. El Rosa. Uh, the town merchant, merchants. Yeah. And every little town had a bull hauler that would do this. So my dad would do that Monday, Tuesday, do it again Wednesday and Thursday. And then, like I said, Friday, Saturday, he'd fix everything that got broke. And <laughs> <laughs> start all over again on Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> Same thing over and over. Very hard work. Hard-working family. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and, and your mom was running the grocery store. My mom ran the grocery store. And when you guys were old enough to help out in the grocery store, you guys were out there stocking shelves and uh, running tills and that type of thing? Stocking shelves. As soon as we could count change, we were counting change and actually waiting on people. It was tough because in the summertime, uh, all the other kids were outside playing and we had to sit in the grocery store. Yeah. And obviously there wasn't a whole lot of customers during the day, maybe to get three, four during the day, but you still had to be open. And then they'd all show up towards the end of the day. Oh, Sunday after was work. The, Sunday was the big day for the grocery store. Grocery store, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the blessing behind that is, I, I believe you said it was your mom that taught you the sales and marketing skills that you, you know, used to build your current company. Is that right? That's right. She yeah. was the one that her saying was... Uh, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Yeah, and okay. That's a good one. So, so yeah, as soon as we could count change, we were working for her. And as soon as we could almost drive truck or had a license, almost had a license, we'd be driving truck for dad. Okay, nice. I like the almost. Almost. <laughs> Close. El Rosa, is, is there a public school, a high school and stuff there? It had a Catholic school. So Catholic school. Was, oh, of course had, it did. I had Catholic school until fourth grade and then... Uh, and you would only go to sixth grade, then you go to Belgrade oh. uh, school for high school. Gotcha. And then when I was fourth grade, that was that was it. Belgrade took over all of it. So now it's Belgrade, Brute, and El Rosa is okay. the three towns that make up the high school. So 
you grow up working in the grocery store, driving truck with your dad, going to the stockyards, cleaning out the trailers, that uh, DNA of hard work is bred into you. And then after high school, I think you said you went to a technical college right after that? Uh, yes, I did. So after high school, 1978, graduated, and it was about the time where it was, it was uh, business was down. Everybody was going back to uh, schooling, tech school. And actually for uh, cabinet making, woodworking, the school, the one and only school that uh, was around in the Twin Cities, um, actually had a waiting list. I was on a waiting list for a year and a half to get in. Holy oh, cow. Wow. So I had to do something. So I thought, well, I'll just go to school in Wilmer for sales and marketing. Okay. Uh, so I did one year there and um, figured out that everything they were teaching us, her mom taught us already. <laughs> so... Uh, and I did did go to technical college after a year and a half, and it was a two year course that we just went straight through. And back then, it was called uh, modern wood technology. So it wasn't just cabinet making; it was furniture and finishing, plastic laminate, the whole gamut of woodworking. What school was that? That was uh, Hennepin Technical. I had a college. feeling of that. Either that or Dunwoody. I figured. Yep. And that that initial spark to go to woodworking school, did you say that kind of developed back in, in, in childhood, taking apart those wooden crates? Yeah, that's probably when we first started working with wood. We would take the peach crates that uh, the fruit would come in on to the grocery store and take them apart, take the crates apart and make toys and stuff out of them. Funny. I'm picturing like back in the day, like... Uh, Scooters and like with a skateboard. No, yeah. no, we were None of those? Uh, we had trucks. We were, we oh, had okay. Semi trucks. All our toys. Oh, were, that makes sense. Had to do with trucks or cattle. So we were making trailers. That makes sense. All our all our toys. Uh, our whole family is very intuitive and mechanical. So all our toys had to be taken apart, see how they work, and modify them. And uh, we always found a spot to use the wood. So the woodworking after that, for serious, was more in industrial arts in high school. That's oh, where sure. I spent most of my time. Yeah, And then to get to the idea of actually get into woodworking as a career, I think it was even my, my uh, mother-in-law now said, you know, why don't you, why don't you go, uh, go to school for woodworking? And I said, hmm, never thought of that. I thought I was going to be a trucker. Huh. So uh, that's where I got the, yeah. the idea. I never really, never really thought of it. Yeah. So yeah. I went to school and... Well, good for you. Your your siblings around that time where you decided to go to school for woodworking, were they also interested in woodworking by chance? No, not huh. at all. Um, <laughs> my oldest brother, Joe, uh, went to the Air Force, so he got into, he had the electronic background. My uh, next brother, uh, he was driving truck the whole life. Mike, uh, the next brother that I started my first business with, he took over my dad's trucking business. And then my Next brother, Mark, he was the mechanic. He got into auto body and uh, mechanic type work. That's that's what he still does, and he's the only one that still lives in El Rosa. Okay. And then my sister, uh, she actually uh, took over the grocery store. Oh, okay. So you finish uh, technical college, and you are now an official woodworking expert, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd say that. And what what did you do after that? I mean, to me, I think a lot of woodworking, you know, people leaving that program would be going to a construction trade of some sort and, uh, you know, buy a truck and start, uh, I don't know, building decks or houses or something like that or interior finishing or 
What did you decide to do after well, college? What Most of the students that came out of our class, they were not carpenters, were cabinet makers. So we'd okay. go to a, a cabinet shop, a small shop, or a casework shop that build all the casework for all the uh, retail outlets. So those are done, all done. In, that's probably where you typically go out and get a job. Okay. So, But, but you I, didn't follow that path. I didn't follow that path. Um, so my brother Mike and his father-in-law uh, approached me one day and said, what do you think about starting a business that would put together pre-hung doors? And we'll build a few cabinets besides. I said, hmm, well, got to do something, so... <laughs> We said, okay, let's start buyer-built woodworks. Okay. And uh, at the time, pre-hung doors weren't a thing? They were They were still kind of new. I guess I guess they were They were very common. It's just there were still some old-timers that still did it the old-fashioned way on site. Oh, sure. Um, hung them by hand. And this, did you say this was like 86-ish? No, this would have been 83. 83. 83. Okay. All right. So Mike and... and dumb. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all were at one point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so... <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I was looking at you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so back in '83, just finished college. Your brother Mike and his father-in-law approach you with this idea of let's put pre-hung doors together and do uh, build a few cabinets here and there. And you said, "No, I'm not doing anything else. So let's give it a shot." Yep, right? Yep. That's pretty much. And so then happened. you then you bought this million dollar facility and uh, CNC machines and got to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Is> that easy. <laughs> no, you started in a little corner of a pole shed, right? I did. And, yeah. And there were uh, cattle pens on the other side of the wall that my brother Mike was still using. He oh, didn't. I bet that smelled really nice there. <laughs> yeah, we're used to it out here. <laughs> yes, the farmer, it's a smell of money. Smell oh. of money, yeah. So, um, yeah, he didn't give up trucking right away. We just had to make sure this was going to work. So, yeah. me kind of being a one-man show, I would go out during the day with my little catalog and call in lumberyards and try and get them to buy some doors for me. And every once in a while, I got lucky and got an order, and I'd go back home that night, I'd put them together and bring them back the next day. So describe this catalog you had uh, professionally produced at one of the <laughs> local publishing companies. Right. <laughs> well, remember those little folders with the bend, the, the metal tabs, tabs that, that you bend over for uh, your report in school? Uh, that, that was my catalog. Your book, your old book report <laughs> yeah, cover. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I drew a little. I drew a little pre-hung door. Or something. I, was, I wish I could find one of them. You drew the door on. I drew the door. On. Oh, that's even better. We are very artistic, though. It was a nice. Day. <laughs> All right, so you put your catalog together. You started a meeting with what uh, lumberyards or yes, lumberyards, yeah. buyer built. Uh, we did not sell to the uh, direct to the builder. Everything went through the lumberyard. So I would call on the lumberyard and. Uh, you know, they typically, um, of course, we were the little guy, and they all had their um, their go-to people, big the big Goliaths in the yeah. millwork business, who all said uh, we weren't going to last six months. And uh, well, we just we're Germans and we're stubborn. Yeah, and we know how to mm-hmm. work hard, so we just kept at it. Kept at it. Why did you decide to go directly to the lumberyard and not to the contractors? That's just way uh, you did it back then. That's the way everybody did. Oh, back okay, then. okay. Uh, there wasn't uh-huh. a whole lot of direct to the. To the builder. Nowadays, there's more of it. Okay, gotcha. So you just went to the local lumber yards with your catalog. They had some doubt in their mind, but there was something that uh, caught their eye. Uh, I think it was your quick turnaround time. Yeah, the quick turnaround time. It's like, uh, which is really what Built Buyer did built today is their service. So I would go take an order. 
come back that night, put the doors together, and the next day I'd go deliver them. Or maybe two days later I'd go deliver them. Finally, one of the guys said, Brian, how come you're, how can you do them so fast? <laughs> I have nothing else to do. <laughs> and he said, well, your competition, they're like two to four weeks out. Hmm. Didn't think nothing of it. Um, <laughs> that turned out to be a huge uh, selling a point. A huge selling point. Uh, yeah. Still today, Buyerbilt prides herself on if you get an order in for stock product, the day before, at noon, the day before your delivery day, it'll be on the truck. Huh. Uh, nice. None of our competition could do that. Right. None of them. Right. So, yeah, that was, that was the biggest thing of that separated you from the big yeah, guys. Yeah. Of course, we had to be the lowest. Yeah. Price. It was always price. Yeah. Uh, but as we proved ourselves, all of a sudden uh, we're the highest. Oh, nice. Takes a while, but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nice. So, what was the progress from that uh, corner of the pole shed building, uh, putting those pre hung doors together to the point where buyer built, you know, is huge now and you decided to leave that company. Can you take me from the point where we went from the pole shed to you deciding, I'm going to leave, you know, and do my own thing. So we grew the business. Um, uh, I mean, it grew fast. It just took off. Took huh? off. Um, wasn't real long. Well, didn't take too long. I told Mike, we need to punch a hole in the wall. We need more room. Mm-hmm. Took a cattle pen. A month later, I said, we need more room again. Took another cattle pen, and that's when he threw in the towel on the, on the, <laughs> on the cattle hauling and said, this is going to work. <laughs> So we're growing fast, really fast. We're doing additions. We're adding on. and uh, it's To the pole shed. To the pole shed. Lean-tos and another building and then connecting them. And the concrete always didn't match from one building to the other. <laughs> it was always a challenge. Um, <laughs> and the one year was so – so we uh, we couldn't get a building up fast enough, so we needed space. So I, I drew, came up here to Sock Center and Finger Hut Company had a empty building they were trying to sell. I tried to rent it. And, and about how many pl- employees were you? About this time, do you remember? Best guess. Um, with, with my best guess is we were about twenty million in sales, so I'm guessing we maybe had fifty, sixty. Okay, all right. Hey, but at this time, you're still working out of this this piecemeal pole shed with unlevel concrete. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's a few of them. It's not just the corner anymore. Yeah, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then and then another, so my brother Mike and I started. I'm the youngest in the family. Mike's in the middle, and then. My, uh, we convinced my oldest brother Joe to come and join us, uh, move back from Denver. Mm. So he ended up sales and marketing. Uh, Mike was pretty much the trucking logistics guy, and I was the guy that did all the manufacturing and production stuff and yeah. purchasing. Yeah. So, Nita Building came up here to Sock Center, and we ended up purchasing the property from Finger Hut. It was a 40,000 square foot building and uh, worked well for us. So we're shuttling product back and forth between Belgrade and Sox Center, which is about 20 miles. Very inefficient. Wait, 40,000 square feet. Is that what you said here? Yeah. Why did it, why did it feel like I went on a two mile hike? <laughs> we, we have two buildings. So we're you about, about 100,000 square feet. Oh, okay. Okay. It's much bigger now. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right. Sorry. So, by the time we finally did have time to get a building up there and we didn't need to shuttle product anymore, well, now we're sitting here with an empty building. Yeah. And about this time, I'm, uh, 
I'm actually behind the desk, more of a pencil pusher and not so much production. And that's not what I went to school for. I'm trying to trying to get in. I want to, I want to manufacture something. That's what I went to school for. Yeah. A buyer built, it was a distribution and pre-hung assembly. We really didn't make anything. Yeah. We assembled pre-hung doors. We'd buy the door from this guy and the casing from this guy, the jam from this company. And we brought all that stuff in and put it through our machinery to actually pre-hang it, put it in the frame, and then ship it out ready to be installed. So this facility was never used for production for really anything for buyer-built. It was more of just another storage facility, right? Correct. And then you guys built another building down El Rosa? Well, it's Belgrade. We Belgrade. Grew up in El Rosa. Okay. Belgrade's... Right next door? Next door, yeah. nine miles down the road. But okay. they're not in Belgrade. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're in the country. Okay. <laughs> so you, you built another building down in Belgrade area. And then, therefore, this building up here in uh, Sox Center just was empty. Was empty. Yeah. And so it's sitting here empty. And about that time, a customer came to me at Buyer Belt and said, Brian, I want to buy wire shelving from you. And we were a distributor for the closet the wire uh, closet ventilated shelving. I said, yeah, we have that, not a problem. He said, but I need laminate shelving. I said, what's laminate? So he started explaining laminate to me and shelving. It's basically a custom closet system, like California closets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, hmm. And they call it laminate because it's, isn't it like particle board covered in laminate? Is that what it is? Correct. Yeah, yeah okay. It's laminated Yeah. with a uh, melamine surface. Yeah. And the wire shelving is the stuff that you put your sweater on, you take your sweater off and it's got like it's got all lines on that. Lines in it. Yeah, yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's ne- for us we still we still sell it, but it's the necessary evil. You need yeah. it. If they can't afford the whole house to be custom, then yeah. you just do the master closet and mm. uh, do the wire and the rest. I gotcha. can't stand that wire stuff. Can't stand it. Where it started is uh, on the coast because they needed, with the humidity, they needed ventilation. They actually uh-huh. call it ventilated shelving. Oh. Uh, and it's covered so the salt water doesn't, doesn't rust, rust it, it out. So that's where it came from. Is okay. The, okay. Is the, all the coast. Well, it's easy to use. I mean, I've installed it before. You just kind of use a, one of those big wire cutter type things and cut it to length and install. Maybe it's easy to install. It's not easy to use. Like, no. you try sliding your hangers back and forth, oh, and of course they stop. Oh, it's got those little stoppers in there. Yeah. 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 No, they have yeah. new stuff out. It's called free slide. It doesn't do that anymore. Oh, somebody was thinking finally. <laughs> somebody was finally thinking. So you started off with the wire well, ventilated uh, shelving for closets. And then they asked you about the vinyl closets, and you're like, I can do that too? Yeah, we did uh, laminated closets, um, which is basically uh, a ready-to-assemble, knock-down, I hate to say it, but kind of goes together like Ikea furniture. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Are you still calling yourself uh, buyer-built as you're doing these wire closets and stuff? No. So when we started this venture, it was um, Cabinet Parts. Our legal name actually still is Cabinet Components and Distribution. Okay. And all we did was components. So we did closet components and then uh, got into making the components for the small custom cabinet maker that back then uh, we had over 400 customers on a list and there's another 400 of them that you don't even know who they are or where they are. Hmm. There are cabinet makers all over. Hmm. Okay. Today, there's less and less. They're kind of a dying breed because it's it's hard work. Yeah. So I thought that, you know, I'm watching the CNC machinery get into the woodworking, and I want to justify a machine like that, but couldn't be a small cabinet maker yeah. and uh, justify a $200,000 machine. So 
you're just attracted to that type of thing. You're like, yeah. look at this. This is pretty sweet. It's going from metal to wood, and I, I like. I want a new toy. I like. <laughs> I like machines. Yep, you're you're absolutely. Right. That's. I love it. Although I can't run one of them, I can turn one of them on. But it looks cool. It looks cool. I know what they can do. Um, right. Hell, I can't even turn the lights on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Really, I can't. <laughs> So, so Cabinet Components was started, three brothers, we started it together, and we thought it would mesh with uh, BuyerBuilt, and it really did, two different customers. They're calling on the lumberyard downtown uh, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and we're calling on the cabinet maker that sometimes they're in town, but in most cases, they're out in the country. Some are even on a farm. Mm. So, not... not That uh, whole cross-selling opportunity no, didn't really that, pan that out. That really wasn't there. Decided to, uh, well, I'm going to get the CNC router, and here's one of the mistakes I assumed that I made. I assumed that the small custom cabinet maker is outsourcing, is buying their, I knew they were buying their cabinet doors. They weren't making them. Yeah. So there they, therefore, they must really understand that that's the most efficient way to make cabinets. And I said, okay, I'm going to come and not only sell you your doors, but I'm going to sell you the rest of it, the whole package, ready to assemble. Yeah. And they kind of looked at me and said, well, what am I going to do? And one guy said to me, his name was Dan. He said, Brian, if I buy all my parts from you, how can I call myself Dan's Cabinets? (laughs) Which threw me for a loop. (laughs) So then I found out that, uh, okay, cabinet makers buy their cabinet doors, but shh, don't tell anybody. Yeah. They don't They didn't want anybody to know they made it. So they 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 they're cool with making the I don't know the base or the frame of the cabinets, but uh, making the cabinet doors themselves, the part that's mostly visible when you look at a kitchen cabinets, making the door fronts. That's the I don't know labor intensive, tedious, expensive part of making a custom cabinet. Maybe. Right? Uh yes. Yeah. So the cabinet makers did make their cabinet doors when they used to just route a design in some plywood. Oh. They could do that with just a hand router and a few jigs, and it was easy. But yeah. as soon as it switched over to a true style and rail, raised panel, five-piece door, now it got really complicated. Yeah. A lot of work. Yeah. So that's when they switched over to uh, outsourcing and buying their doors. Okay. Gotcha. That guy, that uh, that Dan that said, how, like, how can I uh, uh, call it Dan's cabinets? And I, I did pause, and I finally said, well, wait a minute, Dan. You buy all your doors from me, right? Yep. So, Dan, when you stand back and look at that kitchen you just did, what do you see? Mm-hmm. The doors. The doors. <laughs> a whole lot of you. <laughs> anyway, that particular cabinet maker was on the verge of going out of business. His wife finally convinced him to come over and see what we're actually doing. And he uh, came and looked, and we got him to switch to buy cabinet packs, and he stayed in business and got rid of two or three people, and life was good. And didn't you say it was almost it was almost easier at the time to convince a uh, trim installer to get in the cabinets um, and purchase your materials versus a regular cabinet maker. It, yes, absolutely it was. We had a lot of good luck with, there were a lot of contractors out there that probably back in the day had a little shop and did build their own cabinets on site. So it was a natural for them to get back in and build cabinets, especially when they saw how easy it was. We had all the parts cut and put together, uh, sub-assemblies. All they had to do was the final assemblies. The only thing they had to cut was the toe kick piece. Everything else was machine and just basically went together with glue and screws and nail guns and a sander. 
Mm. And uh, they could take a custom job. And if they had a two-stall garage, that was plenty of room. And they would take a, let's just take a $10,000 kitchen, which would be kind of, back then was kind of an average kitchen remodel. And they could put that together with two guys that knew what they were doing in a day and a half. Hmm. And it would be ready to either get delivered to the job site to be installed and finish there, or they'd ship it off to the finisher before they brought it to the job site. Yeah, sounds like a good business. Yeah, I had yeah. a real hard time to convincing them uh, that this was Good idea. Good, good idea. good idea. Good idea. Yeah. Money. So, didn't it involve some chicken? It involved chicken. So, <laughs> um, so, I'm, this is not a dig on cabinet makers, but I I realized that custom cabinet makers are a lot like the small farmer, which they're mm-hmm. gone today as well. Very very good craftsmen, but not so good at business. Mm-hmm. Poor businessmen. Mm-hmm. So, but very hands on. So I finally said, we're going to do a little dog and pony show. Uh, had a salesman. I said, go find me five, four, five different guys, cabinet makers that you can get come in for this little dog and pony show. Um, tell them we'll give them a free chicken dinner. That always helps. <laughs> and I also convinced, uh, I asked my neighbor who was in sales and marketing, I said, would you be part of this um, presentation? Because if I say everything, they're going to think I'm just making this stuff up. Mm. So he agreed and we had a presentation. We brought him in, gave him a nice drawing of a small kitchen that I found someone in the shop, uh, one of my workers that needed it. So we had an example for them to look at. Did our presentation. A couple things I remember that uh, Jim, my neighbor, the marketing guy, said, do you guys know what a paradigm shift is? And they all had that look in their eyes like, no. <laughs> well, it's a different way of doing things. It's a, hmm. Another one that uh, I brought up is... Uh, for outsourcing to get that across. I said, you know that Ford pickup you guys drove today? Ford probably made only about 10% of those parts, and they're still damn proud to put their name on it. Yeah. So we'd, uh, uh, they're very interested. They wanted to know what we were doing. So uh, I took them out to the shop with that drawing. I said, okay, here's a pallet. And I showed them all the parts and pieces for that job that we put together. I said, this is what you would get. Yeah. So they're looking at it, and they're very hands-on. They're touching it. They're looking at, well, I guess five-eighths would be okay. I don't have to have three-quarter. Oh, your dados are only a quarter-inch deep. I guess that's okay. I usually make mine five-sixteenths. And then they looked over, and they saw my first CNC machine. What's that thing do? So we did a little demonstration there and and put a four-by-eight sheet of material up there in a matter of time. We cut out all the parts and out of one sheet in about three minutes, and they— Hmm, I guess I can't do it faster than you <laughs> or better than you. So, uh, so the cabinets weren't put together or anything. No. It's just all the pieces that right. uh, to assemble into a you know kitchen cabinets and, put it in, and make a new kitchen out of it. Yeah. So what I try to tell them is that you're really the one that's designing. You know, the consumer doesn't care how you made it. They want it designed to fit their needs. So you're yeah. the expert. They want the upfront design part of it. And then they want it today, you know, they want it tomorrow. Yeah. So I said, you still have control of the craftsmanship. I mean, I can make the parts perfect, but if you can't, if, if you don't put them together right, and then it... it it's not going to fit. It's not, not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. Um, it's all in your hands is what these cabinets are going to look like. Right. And the install is very important. I can do, he could build them perfectly, but if someone installs them wrong, 
doesn't do a good job of install, right. they can make a heck of a good-looking cabinet job look pretty bad. Yeah, for sure. So I finally said, here's, here's back to that little little uh, demonstration. I took the cabinet makers back and gave them a chicken dinner, but while they were eating their dinner and we were still uh, feeding them with a little bullshit, I put, <laughs> put three guys out on that cabinet job and they put it together. So... Assembled hour, all the cabinets. Hour there. and a half. It was a small kitchen. Hour and a half later, we went, let's go back out to the shop. And now they saw this whole job put together and ready to finish. An hour and a half. Um, Awestruck. Yeah. So that that was A light big, bulb went off. light bulb went off, and that was the turning point where we actually started making some headway at selling these cabinet packs. In the meantime, we were still selling a lot of cabinet doors. Very competitive, though. And uh, wasn't... A sale of cabinet doors is like $1,500. A sale of a cabinet job, cabinet pack job, was more like $3,000. Okay. Double that. Yeah. So it was a whole lot easier to get your sales up if we could sell the whole pack. product, the whole package. Yeah. Yeah. Did those customers that were buying the doors initially, event, most of them eventually come on board and be like, okay, let me buy the whole pack? Um, I would say no, not the majority. No. The mo- most of them, most of them were the older guys. And they're stuck in their ways, and this is yeah. the way I do it. I don't want change. Yeah. And then they'd have. I mean, it. No, they weren't computer literate. So because mm-hmm. computer design was part of it. So no, it didn't work. But like I say, we had a lot more, lot more luck creating cabinet makers from trim carpenters or carpenters mm-hmm. than cabinet makers. Okay, sure. How many of those CNC machines do you have now? We have three out on the floor right now, and we just ordered a fourth one. Nice. So what does a buyer into your wood specialize in now? Is it still, I mean, that sounded like several years ago. Do you still get specialized in kitchen cabinets and doors, or have you uh, broadened, I guess, your line of products into other things? Well, it goes back to... Early days of buyer built, I remember asking my brother, Mike, we were unloading a truck, and I said, Mike, why aren't cabinets and millwork sold together? And he kind of looked at me, and I don't know. I said, well, I don't know either. And that's and, always been in the back of my head is why aren't they sold together? In millwork, that's more like a bedroom doors and stuff, um, right? Yes, the bedroom door, the window trim, the stairway parts, all that, all the woodwork in your house except cabinets. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, why wouldn't you buy all your wood? products from the same place so all the wood matches and what have you especially back then when everything was the same color you always heard them the cabin maker no you match me no i match you no you match me and they would never match yeah yeah so that was way earlier i thought of that and that was in the back of my head and i asked all kinds of people that question no one could give me an answer a good answer why it's that way yeah but no one said it was a bad idea either. Sure. <laughs> so, so interior woods. So we do all the interior woods for a home except flooring. Mm. And what we promote is you can get all these wood things, products for your house, and you can coordinate them. They'll match. They'll be the same style. They'll be the same wood. They'll be the same color. Color. Finish. Uh, finish. All that. Uh, everything will match. Mostly style it'll look right yeah i mean uh the biggest thing that's finally getting through is traditional six panel doors was the standard that everybody has in their house 
Yeah. And very traditional on a raised panel cabinet door. Well, nowadays it's all um, uh, shaker style. Okay. Um, arts and crafts look. More streamlined, straight, flat. So there were new builders not too long ago building 700,000 to million dollar homes. They'd have six panel doors in their house, and right next to it was an arts and crafts kitchen. Mm. Weird. It's like, doesn't anybody see this? <laughs> <laughs> so what we did is we put together, we put a showroom together, and we promote selling the whole package together. Mm. Yeah. And making sure it all fits together and matches. Your well, showroom is breathtaking. Yeah, it's a lot of different options in there. It's yeah, huge. Yeah, definitely. Too many options. Beautiful <laughs> People get confused. Quality. You're like, uh, where yes. do I start? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. But, it, but they really like the part where, oh, a lot of them, I would ask them, well, what are you putting for bedroom doors in your house? And they'd kind of look at me like, I don't really know. <laughs> Lumberyard just bid it. I said, well, bring your list in and let me look at it, and I'll tell you what you're getting. So they'd come in and I'd say, well, you're getting six panel doors, but, you like, but you're an arts and crafts person. Yeah, it doesn't can, match. doesn't match. Oh, didn't know that. You're getting this trim. It's only two and a quarter inches wide. Oh, I want the bigger stuff. I said, you're not getting that. Yeah. Hmm. So we've had people, you know, we're out, we're 80, 100 miles from the Twin Cities. Well, there was one client that uh, I know she came out here three times. <laughs> and I asked her, I said, you're driving all the way out here three times. You're on your third time. Why are you doing that? You have everything here in the in one spot where I can make decisions. Oh, my yes. last houses, I'd, they'd send me around to pick out all my, my flooring here. My, right. My doors here. here doors here. There. Disjointed. Yeah. Look. And I forgot what the hell I picked out yeah. from the first place. Yeah. yeah. They don't give you samples because they hang on to them like gold. <laughs> it, it's just, she said, it was just too frustrating. This is so much easier. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Definitely. Today's builders, so... We, say, we go to market to a dealer network and cabinet makers, except we identified uh, the Twin Cities and the Rochester area and the Brainerd Lake area as a direct market, where we do sell direct to the builder. And when you, we bring up the whole package deal to the builder, mm-hmm. they love it. It's a one-stop oh, shop. Sure. It's one-stop shop. It's yeah. one person to deal with, rather than making exactly. three different phone calls, sending three different emails. Exactly. Plus, we also do the installs. So they're dealing with one company versus if they throw the installers in there, they could be dealing with as many as six different subs mm. to get everything. Well, that's smart. Picked. I didn't know you did the install part, too. Yeah, we just started doing that. Yeah, how's that going? Good. They like it, but I can't find enough installers. Oh, labor shortage. That doesn't surprise me. Labor shortage, yeah. Yeah. So we we have our own crew, one crew that we keep going, and then we are building relationships with subcontractors. Okay. Okay. So you're not just selling directly to lumber yards anymore. You're dealing with some builders also, right? So the dealer that we sell... Typically would be a, if there's a lumber yard big enough that has a kitchen design center within it, or a standalone kitchen design center, that's who our typical dealer is. Okay. In the market, Twin Cities and Rochester, we decided to go direct to the builder because that's more of a direct market and that's what everybody else is doing in those markets. Residential and commercial? Primarily residential. We'll do a commercial job here and there, uh, a school or a doctor's office or a daycare, that kind of stuff, but primarily single family residential but all custom. Yeah. Our 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 price point is mid-range to high end is okay. uh, what we manufacture. We can't compete uh, at that entry level 
big stock, box store prices. Stock cabinet. In yeah. fact, we um, hollow core doors and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, we um, we actually stock a stock line that we sell just to distribute. Okay. To, to get to that price point. Sure. All right. Well, what's the future looking like? I know you got a new CNC machine on its way, but uh, what's your crystal ball say? You know, five, ten years into the future. I know in this installation piece, that's relatively new. So hopefully, this labor. Uh, shortage is going to correct itself sooner or later, and you can expand into the installation piece. Uh, anything else planned for the future? Retirement. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Where's that going to happen? Are you going to move to Florida or something? No, I couldn't do that, but it's 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 right around the corner. Yeah? I just have a new, uh, a new partner came and joined me about two years ago, and uh, he's unbelievable. Good. He can run this place. Yeah, he's doing uh, a good job. So I'm hoping I'll be able to get it to the point where uh, uh, he can run it and I don't have to be here. Nice. Does he have the same passion level as you? Yes and no. He's uh, a little more conservative. He's a perfect match for me. I mean, mm. he's, I'm on one end of the spectrum. A little yin and yang there. Yeah, yeah, and he's a little more organized and detailed-oriented. So yeah. we are a very good match. He's not a German from El Rosa. No, he's a German from. <laughs> he's a German. Where did he go? He's a German from just north of here. Oh, okay. Browerville. He's a Brow- German from Browerville. Okay. Yes, right. he is. Right. And he had, uh, what did he say, 12 kids in their family? 12? Oh, jeez. And I think Dang. 10 of them were boys. Wow. Oh, my. That I- mother. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would say the average farmer around, a small farmer around here had 10. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you need help around the farm. Get some labor. My, my yeah. cousins had 13. Yeah, you need, you need that sheep help. I think you just connected two dots here. You, you're experiencing a little bit of a labor shortage here as far as the installation team. I think the current employees should be incentivized for start pits, uh, yeah, there you having go. babies. Have a bunch right? of babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you have six or more. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we, we we have a standing uh, opening for five positions in the plant, and we're looking for installers, another five installers, if we could find them. Okay. Uh, when I just don't know where – I'm not going to see it end. Nobody's yeah. going to the trade schools, so I really don't know how it's going to correct itself. I do know uh, what I do think is going to have to happen, especially for the carpentry in the field, the framers, can't find them. Um, the panelized construction of the housing is going to become more and more common where they, they can build the walls and everything in a factory and ship them to the job site and crane them into place. The yeah, prefab we're hearing, stuff. We're hearing that more and more. Prefab. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Pre, prefab, but not prefab stock, ugly-looking homes. Right. Cheap it's looking like homes. the walls. They can do pretty pretty elaborate houses in a prefab. Enclosed, controlled environment. environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. For us, as far as what we have to do is we just got to get uh, more efficient by investing in, in more and more automated equipment wherever we can. Um, I try and save a step here and there. and So when I go down to the floor and say, you know, if we did it this way instead of that way, we'd save three steps. Mm. Footsteps. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> whole... well, that matters in this plant. Yeah, and they look at me like, What? What the hell is two steps? I said, we'll do the math. If it's two steps times, you know, every three minutes every times three a day times, times five, yeah. All of a sudden, it's up. $10,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, manufacturing uh, for our product, you saw all the process. We have a lot of 
yeah. actual steps of different processes that have to be done. Yeah. And, you know, the closer you can get them together, the less steps you make. The, we're talking about minutes here. Our, our, our pricing, like on our cabinet doors, we have to make our standard shaker cabinet door in 15 minutes. Wow. That's what our target is. That's our base price, 15 and, minutes of labor wow. in the cabinet. And that's the one that's kind of glued together? That Correct. One? Yeah. Correct. Once they're all, all the parts are fed to that assembly line, Yeah, that gets through there in 15 minutes. Wow, that's definitely efficient. Yeah. And I, I just picture myself in my garage with <laughs> <laughs> trying to make it. You have 15 a, minutes a to door do front. it. Yeah. <laughs> I might get it cut. Pieces cut in 15 minutes, and that's about with glue it. glue all over your fingers. <laughs> well, believe it or not, with, with retirement around the corner or semi retirement, which probably means what, 40 hours a week? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to having my own woodworking shop. Oh, yeah. I, never, yeah. I never did work for a cabinet maker. Yeah. I never did have a small uh, cabinet shop. I never really built a lot of kitchens on my own. Yeah. Um, I could see you enjoying retirement, that. I could do that with, with the old school tools. With yeah. your actual hands? No, my actual hands. And no CNC machine in no the garage? CNC machines. <laughs> like I say, I don't know how to run them and too old to <laughs> learn those. What is your favorite part about this business since you started it till now what has been your favorite favorite piece well the favorite piece in both businesses is starting with nothing mm. starting very very small very very limited budget and then trying to make it work with whatever you could afford and then expand from there and eventually get into more and more technology mm-hmm. the other thing I, I really like is I do like the employees I don't manage them, but mm. I like the people. Yeah, woodworking, the people that get into woodworking—they're just a very salt of the earth yeah, type people. Type people. Yeah, and uh, like I say, we have—we're about 110 employees, and I don't know them all by name. I know a lot of them by name. Mm-hmm. Um, I make sure I walk the plant floor at least twice a day. Yeah. Yeah, I picture those days of you in the corner of that pole shed and taking over cattle stalls as you grow. And let's add on a lean-to, along with the, the the chicken dinner stories, to be like fond <laughs> memories. You know, when you think back on it, it's like, man, it probably felt like it kind of sucked at the time. You know, you, you're making do with what you have available. But now that you've gone past that point and and grew the business to where it is now, and you look back on those days, it's like, oh, those kind of are the, the good old days. You know? Glory days. Yeah. The good old days, yes. Uh, but I don't have it in me to do it again. <laughs> it's a lot of energy, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I, uh, I do wish I was a little bit younger because uh, this company here is really just getting to its uh, sweet spot. Uh, yeah. Especially with the new... Uh, partner I have, he's big into uh, measuring and keeping track and our efficiencies have just I mean, we've gained 5%. Wow. 5% is a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 1% is a lot. Yeah, good for you. And I guess we should just point out that uh, Buyer Into Your Woods is now a completely separate company than Buyer Built. Yes. You are kind of you're the man. It sounds to me, my opinion is you're you're the man mainly responsible for buyer built and have left that company completely. Now your hundred percent focus is buyer into your woods, and that's where you spend uh, all your time. Right? That is correct. It was uh, 
it wasn't me by myself. It was me and my brother Mark, Mike. My brother Mike, Mike yeah. started it. He didn't give up his truck, so I was kind of a one-man show yeah. uh, until I asked for the second cattle pin. <laughs> and then he said, okay, this is going to work. And then yeah. he and I worked together. And Good. Anybody else we could get to come in at night and help, uh, we got him to come and help. It's a good story, man. Well, you should be proud of yourself. I mean, you, you built two successful companies, in my opinion, buyer built and buyer into your woods. And uh, you're looking at uh, at retirement now. You, you built somewhat of a, a empire in two little small small Minnesota towns. And this is a perfect story for Minnesota Made podcast. Did we cover everything? Is there anything else that you want to mention? I I, know. Uh, I think we covered. Uh, it. We got enough. it all. It's enough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's enough. It's okay. Let's bring this home, buyer spelled B-A-Y-E-R, Interior Woods. And their website is buyerinteriorwoods.com. And again, that spelling is B-A-Y-E-R, located in Sox Center, Minnesota. So again, a good customer for you would either be a developer or maybe uh, if, if you are building a new house, find one a distributor of yours that they can go look at a showroom or come here and look at your showroom, correct? But a good place to start would be the website, I assume, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, you can come directly to our showroom. We have it staffed. We have uh, designers available. Um, if you're in a market that we don't sell direct to the public, we'll line you up with one of our dealers. Okay. Uh, if you do come a showroom that we say we have in the metropolitan market where we go direct to market, our people will work with you direct. Gotcha. Hmm. All right. Well, Brian, Brian Bayer, owner, CEO, I appreciate your time, man. This has been an, uh, an educational experience. The, the tour was long, but it felt like every 60 seconds or so I was learning something new. And I find this stuff interesting. Working with wood, it's uh, somewhat of a passion of mine also. And I do also think about that day when I retire and having a, a woodworking shop in the back oh of my shed. Uh, <laughs> no, I tell you, yeah, no, you no, forgot yeah, that. No. It's true. It's true. I That's enjoy okay. it. It can be next to my she shed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was only long because you asked a lot of questions. <laughs> well, I was interested. Yeah, I was interested. <laughs> Appreciate it, Brian. You did a great job, man. Thanks. Thanks for listening. That's it, guys. If you know of a Minnesota business leader or a mover and shaker that you feel would be a great guest, please have them go to minnesotamadepodcast.com and have them apply for the show. Thanks for listening, Minnesota.